This episode is sponsored by Rulin Group. There are four gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and the common link between all of them is each one was sourced through the Ruling Group. If you want to deliver amazing gifts that capture people's attention, go to GiversEdge.com to learn more. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, recognize that it's not enough to just be somebody who's calling on companies. Instead, you need to be seen as a leader or expert in your field. And my guest today, Elizabeth Marshall, is the master of this. She's the strategist that authors and speakers hire to become recognized leaders in their field. Her clients include names like Seth Godin, Michael Port, Carol Roth, and many others. And she's somebody who is gonna teach us the keys to establishing yourself as an expert in your field. Now, we're gonna talk about the biggest mistakes that people make when trying to establish expertise, how to promote yourself without seeming self-promoting, and of course, how do you shift that focus and define your message to make sure that you're providing real value to the people you wanna pursue. You're gonna learn a ton. She's an amazing person. Here's my discussion with Elizabeth Marshall. Elizabeth Marshall, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So I know that you are just so highly regarded as someone who helps people become leaders in their field, where people say, oh, that's the go-to person in this subject area, in this topic. And, and I know that a lot of people strive to be recognized that way. And before we talk about what people should do, can you share with me some of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're trying to establish themselves as a leader in their field? Oh, where to begin? <laughs> um, you know, I would say first, Ian, it, it really comes down to your message and audience development. But let's look at the message first. So often, you know, an aspiring thought leader or influencer will say, okay, you know, I have some expertise on this topic and, and that's enough. But then if you actually go, let, let's use Amazon as, as a tool and you go out to Amazon and you look at all the books on a particular topic or even surf the web and look at, you know, recent HBR articles or Inc. articles or Chief Leadership Officer magazine. And you say, okay, you know, my idea is not well-defined enough. I need to, you know, put in more time, do more research, do more testing with my audience, develop it more fully. Because oftentimes, um, aspiring thought leaders will have the equivalent of a blog post and it's not ready to be a book or it's not read, it's not fully developed into that core message. And, you know, it's, this is not easy, easy. We're going to say the hard thing up at the front, you know, the, you know, becoming a recognized leader is a mastery path. It takes those 10,000 hours in. And the great thing is that your message is never one and done. And, you know, a version that you're, I know for you, Ian, as a, you know, a well-respected keynote speaker, you know, a keynote you're using this year, you're going to add new stories and fresh examples the following year as the market and audience are changing. And the same applies um, for a thought leader across all mediums to make sure that you're, you've really developed your message and you know how it stands out from what's been 
been said on your topic before and what you're actually adding to the conversation as opposed to creating noise. Oh, damn. I should be doing that. I should create. Oh, man. I'm just <laughs> taking notes now. And uh, that'd be a great idea. Now, obviously, obviously, you're right. It's something that it's always a matter of do I have new examples, new new case studies, new stories. And I think that idea of people not having their message defined well enough is something that I see with my clients all the time where I'll ask them, I'll say, well, so why would somebody go to you over somebody else? And they say, well, because we want their business. It's like, okay, that's a good reason why you want to do business with them, <laughs> but it doesn't right. tell me why they would want to do business with you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, I have three um, questions that are really helpful framework to um, shift it away from why you, you know, said thought leader would want to be doing it versus to why it would be important for the audience. And if you can answer these three questions, number one, why now? What is happening in the market and in your industry that has changed or there's been a paradigm shift or a transformation? Why is your message important in in this space and time. And if you can answer that question and tie it to, you know, some of the, you know, the uncertainty, the complexity, the pace of change, then you can make a case for why it's relevant and why there an update, for example, might need to be given on a particular topic. I love um, it. So the first one, why now? Correct. Yes. And the second one is why you, and you were alluding to this, Ian, this is, you know, this, these are certainly things that would be on the proverbial resume or LinkedIn um, profile. This is everything from your expertise to your experience to credentials that you might have to also personal life experiences and unique factors that make you uniquely qualified to speak about a particular topic or subject. And and certainly the credentials matter, but also oftentimes, you know, depending on, you know, your personal journeys and, you know, experiences, the, that experience side is really, really powerful and can create that emotional connection with the audience. Yeah. And so, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to follow back on that. So first, why now? Why you? And then the third, if you, if someone were working on a book, we would say, why this book? But we could say, why this concept? So, you know, a book is just a medium for a message. So right now you may have, you guys listening may have a particular message you're trying to develop and maybe you're working on it um, to then create an ebook or your first keynote or a webinar. So the medium doesn't matter so much, but think about it as your concept. Why are you starting with this concept versus another one and why is this one this question is really important so that you un know how it ties into your business model as well as how it ties into your stage as a thought leader and i'm going to give an example to help clarify this sure so michael port who i know you've had on the show and is an amazing um, entrepreneur speaker thought leader new york times best-selling author of six books including book yourself solid his first book which i had the pleasure of helping him launch and so Book Yourself Solid was the first book, but before he even published that, he had an idea for the Think Big Revolution and his fourth book. And yet he didn't publish that book as his first book. Why? Because at the time, his business model was all about helping service professionals get clients. And while he did have a really strong platform, his platform wasn't at the stage that it is now. And for a bigger idea book, like thinking bigger about who you are and what you offer the world, 
that we often get those big why ideas and we don't have the audience built up for them. And so he chose to publish Book Yourself Solid first, which was a very, it's an inspired, but a very proven and practical system for helping entrepreneurs get books solid and get more clients even when they hate marketing and sales. And as a result of building that audience, growing his platform, then over time he was able to speak to the importance of thinking bigger and then had the platform and the demand for that book. And that book became a New York Times bestseller. But it w- that wouldn't have happened if he started with that book. You know what? I'm sure. And and um, and people have heard me say numerous times. I mean, I just, Michael is just, I mean, he's a, he's a dear friend and I've got all the respect in the world for him. And I could see him going through that, probably with some guidance from you that you won't admit, but probably with some guidance uh, and input from you as well to make sure that he was putting things um, putting the right foot in front of the left foot at the right time to uh, to get there. So I think that whole notion of these three questions of why now, why you, and then why this book or concept is key. Now, when it comes to the why you, I think that a lot of people listening are going to be thinking to themselves, well, man, I don't have a good answer for why you because the answer a lot of people give is, well, I'm just saying the same stuff that a lot of other people say also. Yeah. So, you know, there's a um, ancient wisdom, you know, biblical adage that there's nothing new under the sun. And that's very true. There's, you know, lots of um, we can look at books over the years um, that have repurposed and recycled, you know, core concepts and ideas. I mean, you look at any great more recent business book, you know, they've pulled from ideas, ideas from Drucker and, you know, some of the other business business giants. And you see that through various genres. And yet there are certain people that we, um, you know, pulling a page from the Michael Port um, philosophy of life, as Michael says, there are certain people that we are meant to serve. And um, I wholeheartedly support that. And, you know, I may learn from somebody, we may learn from somebody like a Michael when other small business owners, CEOs, executives may really resonate with other types of authors. And so it's not just the content that you have to share, but it's your particular tone of voice, your point of view, your approach, and you know the amalgamation of your expertise, your experiences, and your credibility forms a unique combination, just like we're all diff, you know, different people that will lead to a different tone approach and point of view. And that's what you, that's what helps you stand apart as that, as that why you now at the same time, if you're trying to, you know, write a book on how to be a successful executive of a mid-market company, and you've, you know, you've, you've only been the CEO of a company of one, then maybe that's not the book that you should be writing, you know, so there is there is that fine line of, of, you know, going down the idea path to find the one that matches your expertise and experience. It, and I, and I, I, it's a great point, because I think one of the things that I often suggest to people is, look, figure out the niche, the narrow focus, the, you know, the three levels deep version that everyone else isn't necessarily focused on. And you might think that, oh, it's too small of a market there, but then you become the de facto expert in that. I've had numerous guests on my program talking about culture. Yet, um, and one of them recently was Howard Behar, who you were nice enough to introduce us. And he was a, it was an amazing guest. Howard's a guy who was the past president of Starbucks International, for people who don't know. And um, just great guy talking about culture as they grew their organization. Now, I've also had 
um, Robbie Richmond on the program. Oh yeah, great guy. Right? Mm-hmm. And and Robbie was a culture strategist at Zappos. And guess what? I'm guessing it's a pretty rare occurrence that someone's trying to decide for their event whether they want Robbie to come talk about how to build culture within your organization or for Howard to talk about how do you maintain that level of culture going from 28 stores to 15,000. And it's, you know, as much as you could find parallels in in their stories, their perspectives and their approaches are very different. So there's probably almost zero overlap in their markets as speakers or authors. There's no, yeah, there's no question. And certainly if we look at the speaking industry, you know, depending on your, your stage as a thought leader and your skill level, as far as speaking goes, you know, maybe you're at the stage of that breakout session speaker, you know, versus the main stage keynote. So a conference may have two or three different speak. I mean, they're, they're entire conference conferences, you know, um, dedicated to culture. And so they're going to need a variety of voices and, and, um, backgrounds and expertise and come from as, as they like to say. So yes, there is, there's room for everyone at the table. If, you know, with the caveat that you have, um, a message that there's some substance there in a foundation, you know, it's, you're not trying to sizzle, sell the sizzle without the steak, you know, yeah. there's something substantial there that, that, by the way, I should also say is not just something that looks good on paper, but your heart and soul are behind it. Um, you know, choosing to be a thought leader is actually a choice to walk down the path of mastery. And it's a career path, you know, as opposed to saying, hey, I've got this expertise and I'm going to use that to help grow my business or get clients. And I'm going to, you know, produce content to purely as a biz dev initiative. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's a very big difference between intentionally deciding to become a recognized voice and leader in your space versus using content and expertise as a medium to get clients. Yeah, you know, and I and I think that and that's that's an area that I want to spend some more talk more some more time talking about because of this whole idea that I think some people they become almost too self-promoting instead of actually adding value to their community. It's funny in this whole thought leader side of the world um, I, I think you kind of, you know, it's something where if you're constantly just trying to serve the audience that you're serving, one day you wake up and people start referring you as a thought leader and you think, really? <laughs> and and it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's there's a guy um, named Steve Dorfman and Steve um, has a company called Driven to Excel. And his business is all about impeccability. And it's all the little details that make amazing customer service experiences. And so I was I was sitting with a um, with with a client of mine, and I said, and they were talking about some customer experience. I said, you know, you guys should look at Steve Dorfman. He does this newsletter every day. It's a daily tip of things that that you can use to improve your business. And I said, well, like for example, this one just came in an hour ago. Let's see what it is. And I click on it, and it's a quote from me. Now, I think in in the last five years, that's probably the first or second time that Steve has ever quoted me in his tip of the day. And I'm reading it and I'm thinking, this sounds really familiar. <laughs> nice. And it, was, it was the most humbling experience because it was like, all right, you can't make that up. Like, I, like, I don't know. And fortunately, the client was right there. They could see it was an unopened message. And I just, I said, look, here, here's the folder where all of his tips are. Pick any other one. I promise you it's not me. <laughs> 
<laughs> nice. You know, and it's, it's, it's such a fine, um, it's a tightrope and balancing acting. And it's, you know, on the one hand, you know, to go down this path of, you know, being in, this is really all about being in service, right? You know, transforming your audience and shifting the way that things are done and the conversation in your industry. On the one hand, you have to have that certainty and confidence to put yourself out there, to be sure, to have that knowingness, not just the intellectual knowledge, but the knowingness that you have something of value to offer. And, and so one might say that's a certain amount of healthy ego, you know, to help you embody this role. And then that has to be balanced with, yes, not getting caught up, um, you know, like ego gone wild (laughs) and, you know, um, (laughs) believing your own press it, you know, some days you might err on one side or another, or so, you know, some thought leaders stay on, um, will have those, those moments of doubt. And, you know, it's interesting, the, the whole inner game, developing those inner capacities and the, the mindsets and the emotional, um, side of this journey is not talked about that often. Um, but it's, it's a big piece of, you know, when you, um, can anticipate and expect that there are those ups and downs and that you, um, simultaneously as you're developing external habits that you need to grow your audience and share your message, you're also developing those internal capacities. Yeah. You know what? And I think that notion of kind of being comfortable in your own skin to a certain extent yes. mm-hmm. is really a big deal because I think that there's, you know, um, a friend of mine, Derek Coburn, who wrote networking is not working. And actually is the guy who originally introduced me to Michael Port. Derek, um, Derek at one point said, yeah, well, you can't call yourself an expert. It's kind of like telling people that you're good looking. It's okay if someone else (laughs) says it, but you can't say it. That's, that's right. That's right. And it, 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 right. It is, it's that, um, you know, humility and certainty tempered by humility, you know, and, and that comes back to actually, um, how you view your message and and the core, you know, your core message in the in your body of work. Um, your message is a living, breathing entity, and it's going to, it's never one and done. You're going to continue to develop, refine, shape it, grow it. And you know, sitting here today on July 28th, you may be, you know, certain of several aspects of your work or your methodology. And then you know, as the market changes, your audience, you know, their needs and desires and, you know, the industries change, the way you approach things is going to invariably need to change to be in sync with what's happening in our complex and rapidly changing world. So your message and your language examples, your ideas, they're going to evolve and grow over time. And that helps um, not only us stay relevant, but helps keep us humble that, you know, our it's a two-way conversation. We're not the um, authoritative, you know, definitive expert on a subject, but we, we can learn and grow from what our audience has to share with, share to and with us. Now, now Liz, let me ask you this. How do you balance this idea? Because I, I know that some people struggle with this, which is, well, I want to come across as the expert, but man, I, I really got brought to this. Uh, this idea came to me from somebody else. And I always err on the side of I would rather overly attribute ideas to other people than to fall short of attributing something to someone else. You said it well. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you, you're right. You may catch yourself, you know, in co- what happens over time is, you know, you you 
Um, okay. So take Michael and me, you know, we've worked together for over 10 years in a multitude of capacities. You know, there are things that you, um, in working with him that I have absorbed and I might, you know, inadvertently say, um, because it's now become part of who I am, but I might say it differently or I attribute this piece and then I've added my other piece to it. So yes, to be, to, but then obviously there's times, and this is, I believe what you're referring to, you know, you, you read a book or you read a recent article when it's clearly someone else's idea, you, you can feel the difference, yeah. you know, between when it's thought leadership that has become yours and that you have shaped and developed in your own perspective versus ideas that you have um, acquired, you know, through reading or for hearing someone else. You definitely want to err on the side of over attribution. Yeah, the, the joke, and I don't remember whether it was Jay Bear or whether it was Rohit Bhargava. We did this event with Michael, and we were joking about it. And we said, yeah, the evolution of idea attribution with speakers kind of goes like this. So the first time, it would be, wow, so so I was speaking with with Liz Marshall, and she came up with this idea, and I I hadn't heard of it, and I want, and let me share it with you. And then, you know, and then the next talk is, so someone mentioned this idea to me, and um, and here it is, and then Three months later, it's, so I was thinking. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, and, it, and it happens. And, and, and one of my friends, John Jantz, there's- Oh, there's, John's, love John, there, yes. There's a, there's, a, there's a topic that John and I both started talking about around the same time, having not heard each other speak, but we share a lot of the same views. And there was an event, and John spoke after after I did at this event, and- or maybe maybe it was at a, at a separate event afterwards, and someone said, "Well, I heard John say that, and and he got that from you." And I said, "No, he didn't. <laughs> like, I, I guarantee he didn't. Uh, I think that John and I share a lot of the same ideas, and I'm sure we share similar concepts. And I don't think for a second that John took an idea from me any more than John thinks I took an idea from him. It's just the stuff that works tend to have tends to have a lot of stuff in common and it's totally okay and in fact if you believe that that idea serves other people then you want more people to share that idea and it doesn't matter where it came from that's right and you know it's 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 the phenomenon that we see in the startup world or you know technology driven companies where you know two or three companies come up with a very similar app or a prototype or or a program why is that because you know we we're all intelligent people and we're seeing what's happening in the world and we're putting the pieces together and we're seeing the same opportunities and challenges and when we have may have different approaches and different perspectives on it um, we all live in the same world and, you know, see the same things that are going on to us to a certain degree. Um, the other thing I was going to say that um, could be really helpful to the audience as well, and this is will be a fun attribution game as well, is, you know, our role as um, the creators of good content um, it's not just about creating content anymore. It's about curating content. Now, certainly, curation is not a new idea, but Shema Heider, who's the author of Momentum, um, has a really interesting perspective on the value of 
curation for your audience and for your clients and being very strategic about how you're filtering certain ideas, concepts, resources, and so forth to them in a way that it helps round out their worldview or their perspective or their ability to accomplish X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, as you look at what you're creating, you know, ideas are coming to you and from you, but you're also curating at the same time because you're bringing in um, other, you know, other perspectives or even simply as a practice on social media on a regular basis, you know, it doesn't have to be your content. You can very thoughtfully share an HBR article, a Wired article, something from the journal. But the difference between just sharing it and curating is like, here's why I'm sharing it. Sure. And this is the impact for you. Yeah, and he, he, pay attention to this paragraph where, where where she talks about this. I think this is really insightful. Exactly. And and th- those sorts of things I think are great. So are there a few tips or suggestions that you can give to people? It says, look, if you're trying to establish your expertise in your field, and, and by the way, this applies, as we, we talked earlier about this notion of, I don't care if you're a salesperson or you're a CEO, Ultimately, people are going to want to come to you if they feel you offer some level of expertise. So if people want to establish themselves as a subject matter expert, what are some things that they can start doing right away that over time will help establish um, themselves in that space? So I would look at the current version of your idea, your core message, and start with a single instead of an album. So take one aspect of leadership, one aspect of customer service. Like I love the impeccable. Um, I'm going to look up Steve and the impeccability piece. Just take one small slice of your idea and test it with your audience and create, I say create a single, just kind of going back to the record days. Some people may not know. I'm dating myself. (laughs) You and I are right there. People are like, single, what the hell is that? I know, like, what are you talking about? So it would be analogous to someone releasing one track on iTunes rather than a whole album. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, So you create that single track, whether that be, um, an ebook, a webinar, you know, some small unit, and then you go public and you share it with your audience and, and you do so with a listening ear. You're listening for feedback, what resonated, what wasn't as interesting. You ask them questions. And by testing it, two things happen. Number one, you see that you, if you have enough content there, maybe it's one and done. Like, that's all I have to say about that topic. Or, you know, you release the ebook or, you know, lead the webinar or, or, you know, you're even being interviewed for something and, and you're like, oh my gosh, I have, I could talk for days about that. I have so much more to say. Well, that will help lead you in the direction of where you could further develop your message. But also the second and um, probably, well, it's not, they're equally important, close second, is that you begin to um, attract an audience for that message that will be collaborating with you and be a part of the message development. And I don't mean that they're writing it for you, but when you're having that two-way conversation between you and the audience, or it's actually three-way between you, the message, and the audience, then you, you know, their insights, their perspectives, their questions will help you go back to the message and make it so much sharper, more defined, more focused, more unique. It's, it's brilliant, brilliant advice. And I think it's something that it's lost on a lot of people because people will say, well, I want to be considered an expert. One of my favorite emails that I get, and I get this about once a month, is somebody who says, um, so 
how can I get quoted in one of your articles in Inc. or Forbes? And I say, well, what's your expertise? And they say, well, no, no. I figure if I get quoted in one of your articles, then people would see me as a subject matter expert. As common to say in the South, bless their heart. Yes. Exactly. And, it's just, <laughs> and I sit there and I'm like, okay, it really doesn't work that way. Well, then how can I write a column for these magazines? Well, if you, if you establish that expertise, they will ask you and invite you. And if you don't, probably less so. And it's, you know, I actually have a great, ex- this actually ties in with um, a really practical strategy and an example. So, you know, if you're listening to this and thinking, I may be at that stage, I'm at an earlier stage of thought leadership where I know I have a, a lot of great things to offer, but I don't know how to get that momentum. Well, two things, you know, making the most of every single opportunity that's in front of you. So one of my clients, you know, she is one of the most, like the top recognized thought leaders for Project Management Institute. And her relationship with them started with a single like book club webinar with like 50 people. And because she was focused on building the relationship and being of service, that led to, um, they have different practice areas within PMI out of their almost a million, 750,000 members. So um, anyway, so she was then introduced to another group and by that point had led three or four webinars and then was invited to speak for the global conference. And at this point now, three years later, she's spoken for all of their major conferences multiple times and is a household name. And that didn't happen. That wouldn't have happened if she tried to get on that main stage as a keynote, like the very first time out of the gate. It's about the mindset of being of service and building the relationship and then making the most you know, having one thing lead to another and being present for the opportunities in front of you. So let me ask you this. What's the what's the biggest lesson that you've learned over the years that other people can benefit from uh, from that experience? You know, when you see changes with your audience, with the market, with the industry, take it seriously and pivot you know, the the pace of change, the amount of complexity, the amount of uncertainty, it's only going to get more frequent and more rapid. And thought leaders who are able to um, create a dynamic strategy that's based on the principles and the frameworks that are required to succeed as a thought leader, but holding them loosely in terms of um, how they will manifest. And your example about the you know, your columns is a great one. Instead of, you know, fixating on, well, my goal is to have an ink column. I must have an ink column. Well, maybe you're able to get a, you know, a smaller column with your local business journal or with, um, I had a client with kind of an, um, was able to do a webinar and then get a guest post and then ultimately spoke for um, this industry organization that I like to call the bread and butter. It doesn't have the sex appeal, but they have engaged members, they have money, and it's it's your target audience. You know, maybe that's where you're meant to start. So when you're creating that strategy of how you're reaching audiences, be willing to, you know, not fixate on certain outcomes, just like in dating, you wouldn't fixate on, I must marry this person. <laughs> um, <laughs> you could you know, just this, be a little bit awkward. Yes, exactly. A little, this is, yes. Um, <laughs> so you don't want to fixate on outcomes. And then also when you see that energy is not there, and this may sound a little woo-woo, but go with me here. Like we can use our left brain to, you know, have all these strategies that make sense on paper, but you can tell when there's not 
things aren't happening. You know, maybe you've emailed a conference organizer three times and they didn't get back to you, or um, you try to engage with someone on social and it's not happening for the fifth time, or, you know, you've asked for an introduction and somebody didn't want to make it. Maybe it could be the right person in the wrong time, or it could just be the wrong organization and that's okay. Like, don't take it personally, no harm, no foul, just pivot and move on, you know, to another organization. It's, it's great wisdom because I think what happens is sometimes people don't realize that you can't push a rope. So even if you're the best fit, even if really you can help them, if they haven't reached that conclusion, then the more you push, the less likely they are to want you in the future, let alone for that event. And I think that that's something that is a lesson that's uh, a hard one for some people to learn. It is. And, you know, some of it is a test too. like one, um, one of my clients who was just a main, the closing keynote for a human capital Institute event, they have really big conferences, big sponsors. Um, you know, she wouldn't have been accepted as the main stage keynote if she had just tried to start that relationship by saying, Hey, I'm your next keynote. Nod, nod, wink, wink, you know, exactly. And, and that many organizations want to see if you are willing to be of service and you're willing to build that trust and rapport over time. So, you know, looking it, you know, looking instead of saying, okay, this is my intended transactional goal. If you focus on the individuals and groups that you want to build a relationship and say, okay, my goal is to be of service and to build the relationship. And there could be a multitude of ways we could get started versus saying it must be a keynote or it must be this. Exactly. And I think that the uh, the underlying theme there is it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's and right. I think that too mm-hmm. often people focus on their goal instead of Look, if I'm of service to this organization, I can help. That's of great value. One of the things that I often do with events is I'll say, well, what are you trying to accomplish? And beyond this keynote, what tools can we put in in the hands of your team to implement this? And, hey, can we do a contest so that we see who's applying these concepts later? Well, at that point, they realize that I'm interested in the results they're going to get out of their event, not just being booked for their engagement. And I think it changes that dynamic in a big way because they realize that I'm not just in it for the event, I'm in it for the results. No question. Mm-hmm. So Liz, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? By the way, we'll include all the details in the show notes, so I don't want people feeling like they have to uh, write while they're driving, but I know people yes, are going to have questions don't. for you. <laughs> I know you've got a ton of resources on your website. Um, you've got a new ebook. There's all sorts of things that people can, can um, get information on. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? So yeah, they can go to elizabethmarshall.me. That's my website. And also would love to connect on social as well. Excellent. All right. We'll include all that stuff in the, in the show notes. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and ideas. I'm sure people, if they have as many notes as, um, as I do, they probably ran out of paper and we'll just have to send them more paper. All good. And yeah, if there was something that, that I mentioned that you have a question about or, you know, want clarification, I'm the door is open. Feel free to reach out. Yeah, you are a rock star. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Man, you get so many great ideas from Liz. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key things I think you can take away and use in your business right away. First, on the mistake side, remember, when it comes to message or audience development, Liz talks about those not being defined enough. So to shift your focus, you want to ask, why now? Why you, meaning how are you uniquely qualified, and then why is this book or concept something that you're well-suited to deliver, and why does the world need that? Now, of course, 
We want to make sure that you're never promoting yourself. So you always want to make sure that you're thinking about being of service and providing something of value. And remember, when you're coming up with a new idea, think of it as a single versus an album. So share and then listen to feedback and then make sure that you're recognizing this a marathon, not a sprint. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on, if there's a topic you want me to cover, drop me a note personally at ian at ianaltman.com. I'm really appreciative when you take the time to share this with friends and colleagues, when you subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher, and always you can drop me feedback on Twitter at Ian Altman. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.